Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, August the 30th, 2022. It is currently 9.31 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, I've been asking a question over and over and over again in this particular series that we're working on, and that question is this. What should we be teaching the youth? What should we be teaching the young people in the church? For your, at your church, in the youth group, what should be taught? What should be the focus in the teaching of the youth at your church? Now, uh, some of you have emailed me with your thoughts and your suggestions, it's, it's very interesting. No one agrees. I mean, in most cases, there's nothing even really that similar about the things that are being suggested, which I guess, is that interesting or is that just the par for the course, right? I mean, Christians not agreeing on anything that if there's one thing, I, I mean, I, I, every day I become more convinced that literally Christians Christians don't agree on anything. I mean, I, I know I say that all the time, but I mean, you were like, okay, guys, here, here's the state of Christianity today. Here's the state of the world. What should we be teaching young people? And boom, you get like all these different things. And you would think, okay, not that people would say the exact same things, but you would be like, well, they're, they're similar. They're in the same category. It's completely radically different and which just demonstrates well, the, the never-ending disunity and disagreement within the body of Christ. But I will once again put forth the question, what should we be teaching young people in 2022? In the church today, what do you, the young people need the most? Now, the reason we're asking this question is because in this series that we are doing right now, we are, in a sense, virtually going back in time to a youth conference that was held in Indiana this summer, the summer of 2022. It is a youth conference that according to the those who are part of, who you know hosted the youth conference, who are a part of the youth conference, who was doing the teaching at the youth conference, according to themselves, they claim that the youth conference that we are listening to, that we are considering, reviewing, and critiquing is the most influential youth conference pretty much in history, that it is the one that is influencing people all around the country, all around the world. So we started reviewing and critiquing this youth conference. Now, this is the reason we're reviewing and critiquing it, because we want to know what should young people be taught and one of the ways we're, one of the reasons we're trying, one of the things we're trying to do is not only figure out the answer to that question, but we are also trying to figure out what is being taught, what needs to be taught to young people. And the way to try to arrive at that answer is first and foremost, looking at what is being taught to young people today in the church. And I think we can say that of all the things that we've reviewed so far, <laughs> it is pretty shocking what is actually being taught, how the scriptures are not even anywhere close to being handled in an accurate or even a just any just a just a consistent logical way. It, it's really been somewhat depressing and frustrating, but it has been somewhat insightful, right? Because when you hear what is being taught, maybe that will help us formulate a better idea of what should be taught. 
That, that's what I'm hoping. Look, at the, at the beginning, there's, there's a lot of disagreement. But maybe by the time we're done reviewing all of these messages from this youth conference that happened in Indiana, maybe by the time we're done, that, that, then if I was to ask you what should be taught, maybe after listening to all of these messages, you'll be like, okay, here's what needs to be taught. That would be, that would be fascinating. I don't know if everyone will participate and see if they change their, their viewpoint. But we have been reviewing these sermons. Now, quickly, let me just tell you, the way we do sermon reviews here is I don't listen to them in advance because that feels like I'm just rehearsing and that this becomes a, a big, you know, this becomes a big production and, and it's it's almost like a performance than an actual review. The, the key is, hey guys, this is the way I look at it. There was this big youth conference in Indiana. They claim it's the most influential one. I'm going to be listening to the messages. So I'm going to turn on the microphone listen to them with you, and we're going to critique, analyze, and see what we can learn, and we're going to try to figure out what is being taught to young people so that we can better answer what should be taught. But before we go back to Indiana, before we go back to the youth conference, we have to stay right here today, August the 30th, 2022, because something interesting happened this morning. What I did wasn't interesting because I do it every morning. As soon as I wake up, I grab my iPad and start going to my podcast apps and hit play, play, play because I listen to so many different podcasts. But this morning, I immediately heard something about, well, the young people of 2022, the youth of 2022. And here is what I heard. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, why the mental health crisis afflicting America's youth has become so widespread, and why seemingly everyone has been so unprepared to handle it. I spoke with my colleague, Matt Richtel, about what his investigation has found. It's Tuesday, August 30th. Matt, for the past couple of years, you have been exploring a topic that, especially throughout the pandemic, has become a lot more visible to people, which is that kids, and especially teenagers in the United States, are in the throes of a mental health crisis. So tell me about that reporting. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we noticed that young people are dealing with mental health distress, and we started to look into the numbers to ask what's really going on. Mm-hmm. In 2019, Michael, 13% of adolescents reported having a major depressive episode, and that was a 60% increase from 2007. Suicide rates, which had been stable from 2000 to 2007 among this group, leapt nearly 60% by 2018. Hmm. So we started with a basic set of facts. Curiously, this was not the set of facts alone that told us we had something significant to investigate. What do you mean? Well, there was a separate set of data. When I was an adolescent, at the risk of dating myself in in the 80s, the public health risks were very different. They were binge drinking, drunk driving, cigarette use was still very high, teen pregnancy and early experimentation with sex, 
These were known as externalized risks. They were happening, say, in the physical world. Right. The new set of risks are internalized risks. There had been a transformation in the kinds of risks facing adolescents. And so my editors were gracious enough to give me enough time to try to unpack the reasons why, and we've been at it for a couple of years. The nature of the... Now, I'm not going to play any more of that. I would challenge you to look up the Daily podcast. It's called The Daily, and you can listen to them unpack all of this information about the, well, youth mental health crisis. It, it is so widespread that it's a crisis, especially among teenagers. So I want you to think about this. Well, I, I started by asking you, and I've been asking the question over and over and over, what should the church be teaching young people? What should be the church's focus when it comes to young people today? Now, we've been listening to messages at a youth conference, and I don't even know what they think the focus should be. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, we could go back and review all of those messages. You can go listen to all of the uh, the episodes in this series to hear us take those messages apart. But I, I don't even really know what their focus is. It's been crazy. And some of the things that they seem to be focused on, clearly I don't think is going to help. But if now in any church, you've got young people who live in a generation where there is a mental health crisis. Now, I know the church, is, the church has a tendency to say, oh, no, those are the young people outside of the church. Young people inside the church, they don't have a mental health crisis. Is it, but I think that's completely naive. So if we've got an entire generation of young people suffering through a mental health crisis, what should the church be doing? What should be our approach? What should we be teaching young people in 2022? I'm going to continue to ask that question. And I, I still want you to email me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. But obviously the entire thesis for this series is this. We can't ultimately answer that question until we first hear what is actually being taught to young people today. So that's why we were, are reviewing these messages from a youth conference held in Indiana, which they claim is the most influential youth conference in the entire country. So are you ready? We're going to go back. This was the Wednesday, the Wednesday PM session for this particular youth conference. And uh, we're going to go back. Now, I do have to turn their, the volume way down. It, it's funny. Yesterday, we, review Rick, we reviewed Rick Warren's last sermon. And the volume for that was so low that it was it was almost frustrating just to try to review because I could I could barely hear it. It was so irritating. And probably for you, the listener, it was frustrating because I kept coming in so loud. The whole thing was just messed up, but there was nothing I could do. And in this particular case, their sermon is recorded at such a loud volume that if I was to hit play right there, I would have blown your eardrums out. So I don't know. Hey, pastors, churches, can, can we figure out that when we record sermons, can we monitor the sound quality and the volume? Can we at least do that, please? Okay, it would make my job easier when I review things. All right, but here we go. Are you ready? We're going to Indiana this summer, just a couple of uh, months ago. I th Maybe it was uh, last month, maybe. I, I would have to look at the dates of the messages, but it was this summer, Indiana, Youth Conference, they claim it's the most influential one in the country. We're trying to figure out what is being taught to young people so that we can determine what should be taught. 
And the backdrop for all of this is that young people today are in the middle of a mental health crisis. I think that that should be considered and understood. Here we go. 1 Samuel chapter number 3, and let's stand to our feet and uh, let you stretch for a moment here as we read some verses from the Bible. Romans chapter 3. While you're standing, let me, let me just say a quick word. I think the devil is very good at trying to convince young people that you're not worthy. Okay, this is interesting. Now, I know within the church, there, okay, so th- this, is very, this is very important. Now, I know I always get myself in trouble, but let's just think about this for a second, okay? I know, I know, you're like, we made it 34 seconds and you're already breaking in. I understand that, but I, whenever I'm listening to things, as soon as I hear something, I mean, that's, this is just the way I listen to sermons. I'm always analyzing everything or how I watch movies, anything I do, I'm always analyzing. So I I just think we have to consider this. And within Christianity, within the church, it's fascinating to me how kind of a, a language, how ideas just become the template. It's like, this is the, these are the phrases we say. This is the language we say. These are the things we say. And we just say them. No one ever calls them into question. No one goes, well, wait a minute. Are we sure? We, we just say these things. And there's almost a language. There's a culture that emerges within Christianity. And let me make it very clear. A lot of that language and a lot of that culture and a lot of that thinking has little to do with historical biblical Christianity, and much of it has no connection to the actual Bible. It's just things we say, and it is coming. I think the devil is doing this. The devil is doing this. The devil is doing... We say it with such dogmatic certainty. So the devil, right, is running around convincing young people they're not, they are not worthy. That, that's what the devil is doing. So, I mean, so no, there's never any go like, wait a minute. So how does this work? So a young person is sitting there and all of a sudden they start thinking, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And, and then if we could, if we could, uh, you know, take a camera and see into the spiritual world, there would be Satan sitting right there going, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. Would it be Satan doing that? Now, first of all, again, we just have to think about it logically and theologically. Satan is not omnipresent, so he can't be going to every kid telling them that. So then are you saying, okay, Satan convinces the world to tell, or Satan uses the world to tell young people that they're not worthy. All right, so is it, is it the, so is Satan using the world? So is it the world telling young people they're not worthy? The church is wonderful at pointing the finger at everyone else. But I wonder, is it Satan? Or I wonder if young people who are brought up in the church receive a message from the church, whether intentional or unintentional, that you're not worthy. The only way you're worthy is if you're perfect. The only way if you're worthy, if you're holy. The only way if you're worthy is that you haven't had premarital sex. Now, I'm not saying we excuse sin, 
But we have a tendency to seem to say, this is what you have to be. And if you're not that, that, and that, then there's shame, guilt, condemnation, and judgment. I, I don't know if, if young people grow up with a, within the church with a sense of grace, mercy, forgiveness, and an understanding that we're all sinners, that we're going to sin. I, I, I just, I don't, does the feelings of unworthiness come from Satan? Does it come from the world? And I wonder if those feelings somehow arrive from within the church and maybe within Christian families. I know you're saying you're being the devil's advocate. I'm not trying to be the devil's advocate. I'm just trying to raise my hand and go, we're so good at pointing at what everyone else is doing. It's always the devil. It's always the world. It's never what we do. Look, I, I think we are, contribute to this, but let's see what he has to say here. And you may look at those who preach in a conference like this, or you may look at your youth pastor or your pastor at home and, and think, I could never do that. I could never be any kind of a leader. I could never preach behind a pulpit. And I think the devil is very good at trying to bring thoughts in your head that, that underestimate what you could do for God. All right, so the devil puts thoughts in your head. So the devil there is putting thoughts in your head that, you know, you could never do anything great for God. I, again, where do we derive this from a theological perspective? That Satan is putting thoughts in your head. That, that there you are. You're thinking, and all of a sudden, there's Satan, and he puts the thoughts in your head. Well, most Christians then believe that God puts thoughts in your head. So you have your own thoughts. You have thoughts put in your head by your parents and by culture. You supposedly now have thoughts put in your head by Satan. You also have thoughts, I guess, put in your head by God. <laughs> how, do, how do you process all? Wait, is that my thought? Is that God's thought? Is that Satan's thought? Is that my parents' thought? Is that the culture's thought? Whose thoughts are in my head? How, how do you function with, okay, Satan is putting thoughts in my head. Satan is putting thoughts in my head. Satan is putting thoughts in my head. I mean, do you have any control over that? Just, again, I just, uh, we use such a language within Christianity that I don't know sometimes if we ever think it through. But, but young people, let me encourage you, don't underestimate the Lord. Don't underestimate the power of God and what God could do through your life. You know, if we had a category in, my, in the school that I graduated from, if we had a superlative for the least likely to succeed, I would have won. I would have won that prize. Especially if the category included preaching behind a pulpit or being any kind of a leader or doing anything for God, I would have been, number one, least likely to succeed. But you know what I have found out in my life is that when you give your life to God, God can take what you have and make it much. Amen. And if you would have told me that 39 years ago when I sat in that other auditorium as a 17-year-old young man, that one day I'd be standing behind this pulpit, it, I'm humbled. And that I would have the privilege to oversee our Chicago bus ministry. And every week, they get to go to Chicago and 
knock on doors and win people to Christ and invest a little bit of what I have into to young people so that they would have a chance to live for God, I wouldn't believe, I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. And you're looking at someone today who I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I, I really i am not anything except someone who, when I was your age, said, Lord, I don't have much, but if you'll take what I have, I'll give it to you. And I've watched God take what little I had to offer and multiply it. And that's exactly what God wants to do in your life. And you might be here. I find it, I think within much of youth ministry, and I know what I'm going to say is going to be controversial, but I, I feel that much of youth ministry is extremely manipulative. It, it seems to pray, pray, right? Not like praying to God, but like a like praying on something, like you're the like an animal, and and that's that's their prey, right? It 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 preys on the insecurities and the emotional needs of young people. It seems that you take young people together and you know that there are certain things, like if you take a group of young people, there are certain things there, right? Obviously, there's lots of emotions and desires for finding that right person. I mean, because of all of the hormones and everything in their mind, they think they've got to find that girlfriend, find that boyfriend, or, or they're they're going to die. Like, it's almost like this hunger and thirst that cannot be controlled. So then you tell them, you know, but if you'll follow God, then God will give you the perfect spouse and you'll have a happy marriage and you'll, you'll be, you'll be ultimately fulfilled. That's what you really want. Trust God and he'll bring you the person. Well, they may already be like, well, yeah, I need God because I can't find the right person. And I, and I don't know, but, but if God's going to bring me the right person. So you kind of pray a little bit on that. You, you pray on their insecurities. You pray on obviously a desire that that they want life to be I mean there, there's so much confusion about life and and they obviously want to be used and they want they want to have some kind of this idea of the future well if I can just give myself to God and he's going to use me greatly well then then I'll trust God it's almost like take all of the insecurities all of the emotions happening in a young person and then say, basically, go look to God, look to Jesus, and he's going to take care of all of those things. He's going to fix all of those things. It's almost like youth ministry says, hey, all of those emotions and feelings and confusion and worry and doubt and insecurities that you're having, Jesus is the answer. Jesus doesn't become the answer to their sin. Jesus does not become the savior to redeem them and save them from the wrath of God. Jesus becomes the answer to all of their emotional insecurities. And so we manipulate those insecurities to get them to come to Jesus. And then young people come to Jesus, and then after a while they figure out, well, Jesus is not doing this, and Jesus is not fixing this, and Jesus is not doing this. And then at some point they throw up their hands and go, this whole Jesus thing doesn't work because they were sold Jesus as a solution to maybe the problem Jesus was never designed to fix. Jesus came to save people from their sins. But I just find it that a lot of, I mean, listen to a lot of youth preaching. And they love to always go with these, 
I mean, and just try to remember, I don't know if you can remember, but remember when you were a teenager and a lot of the emotions you were feeling at that time and, and try to hear these messages for, with the ears of when you were a teenage, a teenage girl or a teenage boy, whatever the case may be, just try to remember what you were going through, all of the emotions going on inside of you. You know, you're, you're lonely. You, 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 you want companionship. You need a friend. Well, Jesus will be your friend. Okay. You, you are, you're worried about who you're going to marry. Trust Jesus. He's going to bring you the right person, man. You're worried about what you're going to do for the future. And, and, you know, you got to find that job and what's your career. Give your life to Jesus and he will use you in a mighty way to do great things. I mean, all of that just plays right into those emotional needs. Those young people have, and we sell Jesus as the solution to the emotional needs. I think it's manipulative. I think it preys on the insecurities of young people. You, you can tell me, maybe I'm onto something here. Maybe I am so off the beaten path here. You Please let me know your thoughts. All right, let's continue. Here this, this morning thinking, I just don't have that much. I'm not as smart as other people, or I just don't have the talent. I don't have the the personality i don't see those are the self-doubts all young people have i don't i'm not smart enough i don't have i don't have talent enough i those are self-doubts that plague many young people there's always those insecurities so here is like all of those self-doubts all of those insecurities you come to jesus boom he's gonna multiply he's gonna do something with your life so you're saying you come to jesus and you're just gonna be successful and you're going to be well, like, are you sure? Are, are you sure that's the way it works? Now, see, he's, he's pu- putting himself up as the exact. See, I was just like you, an insecure teenager. But look at me now. Here, see how God has taken me and done all of this for me. So you're saying every young person who gives themselves to Jesus is just going to be, I don't know. They're going to they're going to accomplish more than they could ever imagine. Are you sure that's the way it works? Have what other people have. Look, God just wants what you have. And if you'll give God what you have, God will take it and he'll make it much. And that's what the Lord wants to do. You know, Paul said, I have no greater joy than to to know my children walk in truth. See, if you'll just give him what you have, take off. It doesn't matter if you lack ability, give it to him and he'll do something much with it. Where are you getting that story? Are you getting that principle for the fact that, well, that, that when Jesus got ready to feed the multitude, that some young boy gave him just, you know, what, a couple pieces of bread and fish and boom, he multiplied it. See, is that, is that, are you going to take that story and rip it that far out of context? And make a descriptive historical narrative, now prescriptive, that if you'll just give your life to Jesus, he will multiply it this way. How can you tell people these kinds of things? See, this is the language. It just comes into the church, and no one ever bothers to question. Let's continue. You know, the great joy of the ministry is is investing in people and watching other people have their life changed because of a small part that you got to have. And that's why we love the ministry. That's why we love serving God, because of the joy that it brings our life 
to see others impacted by what we're able to do for them. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place. And his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere or before the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the God ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep but the Lord called Samuel and he answered here am I and he ran unto Eli and said here am I for thou callest me and he said I called not lie down again and he went and lay down and the Lord called yet again Samuel and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said here am I for thou didst call me And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he shall call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Master, bow your head and close your eyes, and let's go to the Lord and pray together. Father, I do... Pray that you would sanctify these next few moments. I pray that every young person in this room would be attentive, not just to my words, but to the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside every Christian in this room. And I pray that you'd use your word to speak to our hearts, convict us, change us, inspire us, Make us what we ought to be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I love our theme for this year, boldly go. The word bold means to be brave, confident, courageous, fearless, willing to take risks. The opposite of the word bold would mean to be afraid, to be timid, to be a coward. And you know, young people, God wants us as Christians to be bold. He wants us to have the boldness of God in our life. He wants us to be brave. He wants us to have confidence, to be courageous, to be fearless. The Bible says in Proverbs 28.1, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. All right, just from a purely sermon analysis perspective, I am a little bit, 
confused maybe right out the gate. So the text is 1 Samuel 3, a pretty common text preached in a lot of youth settings. It's, it's always like here we take this historical narrative, once again, somehow make it prescriptive of our lives and that God is calling and you've got to try to discern this feeling or this emotion. And okay, all of the, just again, the church sometimes creates more confusion than it does anything else. But it's just interesting that from 1 Samuel 3, now, he, he, he immediately, trans, so he gives the text, and then he starts basically, I guess, establishing kind of the thesis of the sermon, which it seems to be that it's obviously not going to be an exegetical work through 1 Samuel 3. It's going to be topical. So is the topic going to be boldness? So why, how does 1 Samuel 3 connect to the subject of boldness. They may connect. They may work. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying this is how I'm processing this as I'm, as I'm trying to figure this out. So 1 Samuel 3 is the text. The topic is boldness. How does boldness fit into 1 Samuel 3? Is, is who, who's, who's demonstrating the boldness here? Who's demonstrating the boldness here? Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's not the topic, but I'm just trying to figure this out. So I'm just... This is what I'm thinking at the moment. Here we go. But you know, the honest truth is, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that sometimes we lack that boldness. We lack courage. We're not fearless. Sometimes we are afraid. We're afraid to admit that we're a Christian. Sometimes we're afraid to admit that we love the Lord. Sometimes we're afraid to carry our Bibles in public. Sometimes we're afraid to share our testimony or to tell somebody about Jesus. I remember as a seventh grader, we were, I went to public school and we were in our gym class and I was a Christian. Grew up in a Christian home and I remember at gym class, the... Again, what should young people be taught in 2022? That, that's the question we keep asking. What is being taught to young people in 2022? I'm going to say this, that so far in this youth conference, what is being taught to young people in 2022 is how not to handle scripture, okay? The, how, to, how to completely mishandle, twist, and make, and, and I don't even know what they are doing with the Bible. I am literally perplexed. He just read 1 Samuel 3, and now it's boldness is the topic. We, too many of us lack boldness, and now he's going to give a story where he, de where he demonstrates his lack of boldness, and then I'm assuming we're going to swing back around to 1 Samuel 3 to demonstrate how boldness is seen in 1 Samuel 3. But if you were to, if you were to preach a text on boldness, what text would you go to? Is this, is 1 Samuel 3 a text about boldness? I, I, I'm just, I, now, now I'm really trying to figure out. Now, now he may put this back together and I may like, wow, that was awesome. That was great. Remember, I don't listen to these in advance. So I'm just, I'm just right now, this is what I'm trying to process. I'm just like, like if I was sitting there listening, I would have my you know, pencil in my hand, my notebook, and I'd be like, First Samuel 3, then I would write boldness. I probably would have circled it like five times with like now. And then probably at this point, I would have a couple of question, question marks. Okay. And I would just be like, where, where is this going? But we'll see. And, and one of the reasons I'm a little bit nervous is because he's got probably about 18 minutes left. This is a very short sermon. So I, I don't really know how he's going to put this all together, but we will find out. Some of the boys were talking about 
being born again. And one of the boys said to me, said, Hey, John, you, you know a little bit about that. Tell, tell Vinny. Vinny was a friend of mine. He said, Tell Vinny. Vinny was asking about being born again. And, and boy, I lacked the confidence. And, and boy, I lacked the boldness. And I was fearful. And, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to, to, to share that because I should have taken opportunity to share my faith, but I was too timid and I was too afraid. I didn't have the boldness that I needed. Sometimes we lack boldness for Christ because we are ashamed. We don't want to identify with Christ. We don't want to identify with the Bible. We don't want to identify with this crowd. Now, as long as we're in this crowd, we, we're okay. But as soon as we step out of this setting right here, we don't want to identify with those who love the Lord. Why? Because we're ashamed. We're ashamed of what we believe, and we're ashamed to, to admit who we are. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter 1. What is going on? I am so confused here. So it starts off, Satan is whispering in your ears that you're not worthy, right? But if you'll give your life to God, he'll make you worthy. He'll do something great with your life. Then we transition into 1 Samuel 3. Then from 1 Samuel 3, 1 Samuel 3, boldness. The problem is we lack boldness. And now we're going from 1 Samuel 3. We're jumping to Philippians. We're jumping to Philippians 1. I do not understand from any, like, I don't understand what's going on here. I am completely, I'm completely perplexed. Now, maybe there's some explanation that is not available on the audio for the conference, but we're down now, we're down to about 15 minutes left. And I don't, this is what's being taught to young people in youth conferences, supposedly the most influential youth conference. I'm not even understanding. So, so what, what was the first Samuel three? Right, here, here we go. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter one, quickly. And I want you to read with me out loud this verse, Philippians chapter one, quickly find it. In your Bible, Philippians chapter 1. And once you read out loud with me, verse number 20, if you found it, say amen. amen. Oh, good. Both of you found it already. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 20. If you found it, read it out loud with me. Ready? According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You know, God wants us not to be ashamed. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Does anyone have any clue what this has to do with 1 Sam- Samuel? I, I, um... Okay. And so he doesn't want to, so he, boldness is the issue. He, now he said, don't be ashamed. Now I guess for a first, I'm going to back that up just a second so we get the reference. Uh, okay, I, okay, let's just, let's just try to see where this goes. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
And read with me this verse here, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. Ready? For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why are you ashamed? Don't you know? Oh, he says this morning, according to the file, it's the PM service. This is supposedly in the morning. So I don't know. I, so I, I don't know what was going on at this point. I'm just still perplexed of the, of the first Samuel reading. Now we're, we're, we went from Philippians to second Timothy. I, I, this, I, okay, we'll see. And then, and then boldness was the thing. Then he's put ashamed, didn't do any actual, actual, you know, any exegetical work on the word boldness. What, what is the Greek word for boldness? Like how is bold? Like I thought he would focus in on boldness. Now he's more, more focused on ashamed. Okay. Let's, let's just see where this goes. Who you believe. Don't you know, don't you realize this morning, young people, that we are on the winning side? Don't you realize that when life is over, and by the way, life is short, but when it's all over, you're going to, to, to I want to identify with the Christ who died for you. Why don't we ad- identify with him today? Why don't we identify with him now? Because we struggle with being ashamed. I heard this just the other day. The reason we lack boldness is because we are more concerned with our image than his image. Let me say that again. The reason we lack boldness is because we're more concerned about our image than his image. Now, that, that's, that's a very interesting, powerful quote. If I was organizing this, maybe start the sermon with that. Then say, you know, that's kind of how you introduce the sermon. And we're going to talk this morning about boldness and then find your key text that uses the word boldness. Then do a brief, like, this is what the Greek word is. It's used this many times in this many places. In fact, if we go back to Philippians 1, I mean, I'll just show you. I'm just perplexed in how this is all being structured um, Philippians chapter one, the word boldness is used in verse 20, Philippians 1, 20. I don't know if there's anything significant here, but now I'm just curious. Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 20, I'm going to open up the blue letter Bible app, which is what I always tell everyone to have on their mobile devices. Philippians one, let's go to verse 20. I'm going to click on that. Philippians chapter one, verse 20, open up the interlinear. Where's the word boldness? Where's the word boldness? I'm looking at the interlinear. Here's the word boldness. Means this. Strong's G, 3954. Parousia. 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 Parousia is used 31 times. Eight times boldness, six times confidence, openly, plainly. Uh, Parousia means outspokenness. Frankness, bluntness, publicity, assurance, bold, confidence. Uh, it's freedom in speaking, unreserved in speech. So parousia seems to be the idea that we have a boldness that we are willing to speak up and to be heard, which could actually 
explaining the Greek word may actually have done more to maybe prove the point that he wants to prove. Maybe, I, I, I don't know. Pa- parousia would be like, we, we, we won't be ashamed of speaking up because he kind of gave that illura- illustration. He actually had the Greek word right there and he, parousia, para, I mean, I, look, this, this, and then, I don't know, there's so many different ways you could have gone with this. I still don't understand the first Samuel 3 thing. All right, here we go. God, help me not to be ashamed of you. God, help me to have the courage and the boldness to identify with who you are. Samuel was a bold, unashamed young man, and God... Okay, here we go. Now we're going back to Samuel. Now we're going back to Samuel. Okay, maybe he's going to make this all work. Maybe he's going to make this all work. used him in a mighty way. He was a prophet. He was a judge. He was a man who anointed David to be the king of Israel. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find that he was a great hero of the faith. There's three areas of Samuel's life where he was not ashamed, and we'll go through these quickly. Number one, I want you to notice that he was not ashamed to surrender. He was not ashamed to surrender. The Bible says that Samuel was a child. Most people think he was about 12 years old. How many of you are about 12 years old? Would you raise your hand? Many of you in this room this morning. Samuel was just a child. We find four different times God calling Samuel. Three times Samuel thought it was Eli. Three times he runs to Eli and says, Eli, here I am. Eli was to... I'm a little perplexed here because, because how, and, I mean, look, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord was there. I mean, what, where, where, what would be, where is his boldness or not being ashamed in this context, right? He, he's, he's there. He's, he's before Eli. He's, he, I mean, everything around him is about God. I mean, what, what would be the, oh, I'm ashamed. I, I, like there's some I, I don't understand where this shows boldness or a lack of shame. This just shows that this would be like the natural thing to do. I, I don't, this seems odd to me to be used as an example of boldness or not being ashamed. I, I don't, I don't see this. Priest. He says, here I am, Eli, is there something you need? And I, and I, what I love about Samuel was his spirit of, of, of that, that when he heard his name called, thinking that Eli had called his name, he ran to him because he was not ashamed to surrender. He ran to him because he wasn't ashamed. I mean, I mean, come on. Look, the, the one thing young people need more than anything in 2022 is to know how to handle the Bible. Where do you derive this? He, he came to him because he thought someone was calling him. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down and, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. Uh, and our, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark uh, of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Then, then the Lord called Samuel. He ran, he ran unto Eli and said, here am I. Hey, you called me? Hey, here am I. Oh, what do you need? What do you need? Like, no, he ran to him because he wasn't ashamed to surrender. I mean, sometimes I think it's absolutely amazing. And I've said this so many times, so many times. We want sermons. 
We don't want textual studies because sermons aren't interested in the text. Sermons create that you have an idea, you have a concept, and, 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 I, and, and I, I know you can't see what I'm about to do, but I have my Bible right here. I'm raising my fist. Here's my concept. Here's my idea. Here's my topic. Boom! And I try to cram it into the scriptures. This is not about, oh, Samuel was so bold, he was so not ashamed that he ran to Eli and go, hey, did you call me? <laughs> Look, what, how are you, how are you ramming that into the text? Hey, young people, here's what we're, here's what the church is teaching young people in 2022. You know what? Just put anything you want into the Bible because we do it. He was not ashamed to surrender his life and, and find out what was needed to be done. Three times he runs to Eli. Eli realizes that, that God was the one that was speaking. He told Samuel, go back to bed, and if you hear your name again, then reply to the Lord. Right, so he's not in an environment that requires boldness and not being ashamed. He's in an environment that is conducive, that is supportive to listening to God. How is that boldness? How is that not being ashamed? Boldness and not being ashamed would be seen if you're in an environment going, you will not talk about God. You will not believe in God. You will not listen to God. You will not consider God. So I don't know how this, what, how, why is this being used in an example of not being ashamed or bold? I, 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 I'm having a hard time understanding this. And so the fourth time it was God called again, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel's response was, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I want to be your servant. And Samuel was not ashamed to surrender. What would have made him ashamed? Look, it, this seems like it's painfully trying. It's like, I've got this concept. Today, I'm supposed to talk to the young people about being bold and not ashamed. I got to find a verse. I don't know what to use. I'll use verse. It's like, I just got to find something to make this work. You don't, you, no, you start with 1 Samuel 3. Say, I'm going to preach the text. This, this, this is how it has to work. And preaching or teaching, you, you don't start with the topic, you start with the text. The text determines the, 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 thesis, the, the thesis of your sermon. You don't bring your thesis to the text, you, you look at the text. I'm going to preach 1 Samuel 3, I'm going to work on it, work on it, work on it, work on it. Okay, this is what I think the thesis of the text is. This is what it's about. This is just, I don't understand how this is being used as boldness and not being shamed. Everything in this story, he's in the most conducive place to listen to God, hear God. He's encouraged to do just that. Let me ask you a question. Will you have the boldness to say, here I am? If God speaks to you this week. Oh boy. The ne I remember I talk about this. Oh, Christianity, 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 Christianity. I sometimes don't feel like I belong as a part of you. Okay, all right. Yeah, I know. I'm not singing correctly. But okay, you get the idea, all right? Oh, man. If this week, if God speaks to you. So, so just as God spoke to Samuel, he's still speaking to us today. How, so how is So do I got to listen to this voice? Or, or no, God is speaking. 
uh, only in one way today in 2022. It's right here in the Bible. This is it. There's no sm still small voice. There's none of that. Because the minute you have all of these other supposed ways that he's speaking, then the word of God no longer becomes the final and ultimate authority. You undermine sola scriptura. And what drives me crazy is that we're listening to a youth conference that was held in a Baptist church. And this goes right, starts leading you right down the road towards the charismatic chaos and all of that stuff that I cannot stand. But all right, let's see if he, maybe, maybe he's going to modify how God speaks. Maybe he's going to modify it. Will you have the boldness not to worry about what your friends think? Not to worry about what your siblings think? Not to worry about what your, what your family might say, what anybody in this room might say. Will you have the boldness and not be ashamed to surrender and say, Here I am, Lord. I surrender my will. I surrender my music. I surrender my friends. I surrender my dreams. I surrender what I want, and I'll do what you want with my life. Amen. Too often God is speaking, but the noise is so loud we can't hear. God is speaking, but we can't hear. Man, that's a pretty weak God. God is speaking, and we're like, I can't hear God. Now, when God is speaking in his word, we won't hear it if we ignore it, don't read it, okay? I understand that, but if God is supposedly speaking to me outside of his word, I would assume he would be able to be heard. I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Young people, God doesn't always yell or scream to get our attention. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... See how we just run to these Old Testament historical narratives and just immediately forget the original context. And now, see, now this is not about God speaking to Samuel. Now it's not, a, I think, it's not about God. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the this. It was a still small voice. Now, all of this becomes about us. All of those historical narratives become prescriptive on how things could work for us. When there are in many cases nothing in the text saying, oh, this is how it's always going to work. Clearly, it's not how it's always going to work. It's how something happened in that particular historical setting. A still, small voice. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And what's sad is that God is speaking, but how many young people are listening? And the reason many of you, some of you have a hard time listening is because there's so much noise. You're so is the thesis of the sermon that we need boldness? Or is the thesis of the sermon, God is speaking, but we're not listening because there's so much noise and God can't cut through the noise. So we got to turn off the noise so that we can hear God. And I guess this has nothing to do with the scriptures. It's hearing something outside of scriptures. I, I, I don't really know what in the world this sermon is about at this point. You're listening to your friends and not listening to God. You're listening to your, to your cell phone and not listening to God. And you've got so much noise in your life that, you're, that you have a hard time being still and listening to the voice of God. Not ashamed to surrender. 
Secondly, I notice about Samuel is that he was not ashamed to stand. Not ashamed to surrender, not ashamed to stand. Hannah prayed for many years that that God would give her a son, and she made a promise that if God gave her a son, she'd give him back to the Lord. Samuel went to live with with the high priest, Eli, who had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were very wicked and very perverted. But I want you to notice that Samuel was not influenced by their bad behavior. He stood for what was right. It had been so easy for Samuel to be influenced by the, by the, by the. Now, wouldn't it have made more sense if your thesis is about boldness and not being ashamed to forego the whole him supposedly hearing God or him hearing from God and saying, here am I? Why would you, wouldn't you forego that text and deal with uh, Samuel standing up to Eli's sons? not going along with it. Why wouldn't that be that would that not fit the boldness idea more? But it's like I'm going to put the boldness concept in the surrender which it doesn't even fit, doesn't even make any sense. It's just so the the structure here is uh, I'm just trying to figure out exactly what I'm supposed to take away from this. The the bad behavior of these boys who were the 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 pastor's sons, the preacher's sons. Samuel was a young man who quickly figured that out and said, you know what, I'm going to stand for right. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to be ashamed. In Luke chapter 17, it tells a story about Jesus healing ten lepers. And the Bible says that one of of those that got healed came back and said, just from a purely preaching standpoint, you're in for Samuel. You're mentioning him standing up against these sons. We don't even look at that text. We don't even read that text. Now we're off in Luke about Jesus healing lepers. Now, and he's going to turn that story not into a story about gratitude and love. He's about to turn that story into the, a story of boldness and not being ashamed. Is, is that what that story is about in Luke? Thank you to the Lord. Just one. And Jesus says, where are the nine? I healed ten. Ten had this awful, despicable disease called leprosy, and, and I healed all ten. But only one came back and said, thank you. And Jesus says, where are the nine? I don't know about you young people, but I want to be the one. I want to be the one that goes back and says, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for what you've done in my life. I want to be the one. And young people, why don't you say today that I'm going to be the one that has gratitude. I'm going to be the one to stand for right. I'm going to be the one. It doesn't matter what my friends are doing. It doesn't matter where they're going or what they're watching or their behavior. I'm going to be the one that does the right thing. You see, not everybody will have a heart for the Lord. Not everybody will live for God. Not everybody. Now, he does mention the gratitude, but he's really turning this story into like, hey, the rest of you are not going back. I'm going back. I've got boldness. It, the story just is like one came back. It doesn't, it doesn't mean like were they all hanging out together and the other. I mean, it, it, he's turning the story. He's he just turning the story into something that may not even reflect the actual intent of the story in the first place. And then again, and I'm sorry, I'm knocking the microphone over. I, I, I he, he completely like, 
he uses a story in 1 Samuel 3 that's not even really about boldness and a shame to try to make it that Samuel was being bold by listening to the voice of God, even though he's encouraged to do so. So I don't know where the boldness is. Then he mentions Samuel's standing up against Eli's sons, but he doesn't read anything in that text. Immediately runs to Luke. I, I am so just not understanding. Has the courage to stand, but let me let me challenge you this morning. Don't be ashamed to say I love Jesus. Don't be ashamed to carry your Bible. Don't be ashamed to pass out tracts and let people know that you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed to look and dress and act like a Christian. Be the one. Be the one that says, I want to show my gratitude to my Savior. This is like the the top ten of youth concepts showing up in the church. He's mentioned music. Now, briefly, he's mentioned dress, briefly. So, hey, make sure you dress the right way. I, I think he's talked about what you watch. So we've got the don't watch the wrong things, don't listen to the wrong things, and don't dress the wrong ways. Because, And if you don't do that, you show that you're bold. And and it's just, it's like the, the top 10 of, 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 of what youth are given in most churches. And when are we going to realize that maybe these concepts, maybe there needs to be a different approach to youth ministry considering how how much it's a mess right now. And I, I just, I like if you, if you were to create your list of the things young people need to be taught in 2022, do they need to be taught something about boldness from a text that's not about boldness, where the text is being completely mishandled and where I, I just, I don't really know what to do with any of this. Turn to my Lord for what he's done in my life. I'm not going to be ashamed to stand for God. I'm not going to be ashamed to stand for the Lord. The third thing I want you to notice is not only was Samuel not ashamed to surrender, not ashamed to stand, but he was not ashamed to serve. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child. Again, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord. Jesus only had one prayer request in the Bible. And that prayer request was this, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know why that was his prayer request? Because the verse before that says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. As Brother Brown and Brother Ross preached last night, I couldn't help but think about their testimony and how both of them in their youth surrendered to the Lord and have been able to give so much of their life to serve. I know men who wasted a lot of their years, some because they didn't get saved until they were older in in life, some because they were backslidden 
and, and, and did their own thing until they kind of figured things out and said, you know what, now it's time to, to get right with the Lord, and, and now it's time to make a change. But then so much of their life has been wasted. Can I tell you this morning that I am so glad that I was only 17 years old when I surrendered my life to, to preach the gospel. Because it has allowed me for the last 39 years of my life to serve the Lord. And I want to serve the Lord until Jesus comes. And I'm not ashamed to serve. I was 17 years old when I first visited a Chicago bus for help. I'd never been to a big city like Chicago before. And I saw some things that day that I'd never seen in my life. I'd never seen gangs. I'd never seen drug deals. I'd never seen and heard some of the behavior of what was happening in the city. And, and for several hours as we visited on that bus route, I, I really thought that we were wasting our time. I thought there's no way that young people who live in such a wicked place could ever turn out for the Lord. Until that's such a that's such a Arminian. I I, I don't know what that is. I, I, an Arminian perspective, I guess. I, I just I just don't know how anybody here could be saved. Well, if you believe salvation is something to do with us, then I guess so. Unless you feel you can go there, like unless you lacked, you felt that you lacked the ability to talk them into it. If salvation is of the Lord then all you do is proclaim the message and God does the saving. But okay, we, we could get into a whole theological discussion here. I'm just still trying to figure out exactly what the, I guess the point of this sermon is, don't be ashamed. And we're going to use random texts that really don't teach that to teach it. Oh, oh, and, and listen to God. I, I'm not going to really tell you how to listen to God. And he didn't really emphasize if it's scripture or still some still small voice. But just don't be ashamed and, and be bold, be bold. About 4 o'clock that afternoon, I met two teenage girls who were different than everyone else that I'd seen that day. These young ladies had skirts on. These young ladies were carrying their New Testament because they had just come back from soul winning with the lady bus workers that day. And I walked out of that apartment and I realized something. I realized two things. One, I realized this. I realized that young people can stand for God regardless of their circumstances. And if I, if I took you to where they lived and, 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 and the, the, the gangs and, the, and just, a, just a wicked behavior that took place in their neighborhood, but yet here was two young ladies who stood for God. Their, her, their parents didn't go to church. Their parents were divorced, and, and mom and dad didn't go to church. Mom lived on one side of the street. Dad lived across the street, and, 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 and they didn't live together, and they didn't live for the Lord. But here was two young ladies who were living for God, and I said to myself, the devil lied to me because young people can live for God. But then also realize this. Again, the, the language just used within Christianity, any thought you have, any, any thinking that you have that is flawed, it's the devil. It's the, the devil puts every, every wrong thought the devil put there. The, no, you are a sinner and your depravity impacts everything. So, so why is it that we always got the devil, the devil? Well, I thought that the devil made me think that. The devil thought. that. It, why is it always the devil's fault that we think things incorrectly? 
those young people didn't wake up one day and, and say, you know what, I think I want to go to church. And they didn't go out on the street and start waving down a bus to ride to, to church. Somebody knocked on their door. Somebody took the Bible and, and showed them how to be saved. Somebody taught them Sunday school. Somebody prayed for them. Somebody loved them. Somebody drove their bus. Somebody made a difference in their life. Listen, listen, look at me. And as a 17-year-old young man, I made a decision. And that decision was this. Yeah. It's just uh, the philological perspectives here are in great conflict because I have great conflict with this. You know, so 17, I made the decision. 17, I did, I, 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 I. The other 17-year-olds didn't make the decision, but I made the decision. It really makes your salvation about you, what you did, what you figured out. What you realize, it destroys the idea that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of you. So obviously, from a theological perspective, I have strong disagreements. Okay, strong disagreements. But I would just want to be, well, as we finish this up, what do young people in 2022 need to be taught? Is, is this it? Would this, would this show up in your top three list? Yes, I'm not going to be ashamed to serve the Lord. Not going to be ashamed to serve God. And if God would let me, I want to do for them. I want to do for some other young people that live on those streets. And youth conferences are famous for making sure the speakers have some point where their voice cracks and their voice breaks and there's some kind of emotions because you're dealing with emotional teenagers. I'm not saying it's always on purpose. I'm not saying that it's, that it's fake. It just seems that it happens a lot in, in youth preaching. But you, you can draw your own conclusion. I only read, and just so that someone doesn't get mad for what I just said, I'm skeptical because when I, I became a Christian as a teenager, and I was next thing I was taken to churches all across, different places in West Texas to give my testimony, and I was literally told which point I should cry and where my voice should crack. I was literally coached. What somebody did for them, and I made a decision that if God would let me, I want to make a difference somebody's life. I'm not going to be ashamed to serve. We need some young people today who would stand up for Jesus. And as Brother DeMoville said a little while ago, commit to the Lord. To have boldness, to be fearless, to not be ashamed of who we are in Christ, to identify with the Lord and identify with the Word of God and say, to the whole world, I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to surrender. I'm not ashamed to stand, and I'm not ashamed to serve. And that would be the best decision you could make, is to say, Lord, I'm not ashamed. I'm so glad that as Jesus died on the cross, suffering and pain and shedding his blood for you and for me, for my sin and for your sin, that he wasn't ashamed. 
He wasn't ashamed of me. He should have been. He wasn't ashamed of you. So why should I be ashamed of him? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Father, I pray that you'd help us. And that ends that session from the youth conference held this summer in Indiana, which they claim is the most influential youth conference in the country. And I once again will end this with the question I keep asking, what should young people in 2022 be taught? What we heard right there was a topic presented as a, well, let let me state it this way. What we heard was a sermon that did not lead people to the text, but actually kept people from the text because we had a sermon not then of, uh, put it this way, we had a sermon of a topic. We did not have a sermon where the text was actually studied and presented because in many cases he forced that topic onto text that had nothing to do with his topic. So my question is, what do young people really need? Do they need more topics? Do they need more sermons? Or do they need more of the Word of God taught and know how to handle the Word of God and study the Word of God? I've said it so many times, so many churches, we are more worried, and and this is just within the evangelical world, we want sermons that, that versus the actual text. In many cases, sermons actually keep us from the text. That, that, that sermon there did not get us into actually understanding 1 Samuel or even those situations he mentioned. He didn't explain them. He, he just, all, just look at these texts. In many cases, we didn't even read them. Hey, this, 1 Samuel, this is teaching you that you need to be bold. Well, that did, that, that, in many cases, that had nothing to do with that. When a sermon keeps you from the text, then the sermon is detrimental. The sermon should, the ser, look, this is the way it works. We go to the text, and from the text, the sermon emerges. We just want a sermon, and we just look for a text that we need to connect to the sermon. There, there's, there, there, there's something wrong with the way things are done in this area. But you can draw your own conclusion. I can't, I can't go, I, hopefully I've made that clear. I've just, I've just spoken of it so many times. So let me just try to make sure I'm clear because I never know when someone's listening here at the end. Let me make it very clear. So many times we take a sermon and we preach the sermon, but the sermon is not an actual teaching of the text. The sermon is, is almost in, in place of the text. And then we take the sermon and we, and we cram our sermon into the text The sermon should bring you to the text and have you face the text, deal with the text, struggle through the text, and see what the text actually says. But so many times sermons become a a, a replacement for the text. He didn't get us to the text. His his sermon kept us from the text, and in many cases his sermon actually was cramming things into the text. I think what young people need is what they've always needed, the Word of God. If, if we believe Christianity to be true and the Bible to be the inspired word of God. Do young people need to be taught boldness and not being ashamed? Is that a major issue you think with young people today? All right, we'll stop right there. You can contact me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. 
We'll continue our review of these, uh, all, every message from this youth conference. It's going to take us a long time, but I am committed to, to doing this so that we can see what is being taught so we can try to figure out what should be taught. Thanks for listening.